Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. We're going to continue in our series this morning on Philippians, Be Encouraged. And this message is titled, Run for Your Life. We're going to find ourselves in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick it up from verse 12 and read down to the end of the chapter. I don't know if um, you've ever been in a position where you've had to run as hard and as fast as you can. You know, it is one thing to run in a competition, um, even in a race, even in a race that you may have trained for. It's another thing to literally be running for your life, like someone chasing you. If they catch you, you are going to be either very hurt or killed. Uh, I've had situations where I've had to run with everything that I've had in me. And the text this morning uh, is going to be speaking of running a race. And I liken it to running for your life, where... Uh, you don't jog, you don't skip, you move as fast as you can. I've been on um, safari uh, multiple times, and one time we were on safari and we caught a flat. And that's not fun, because that vehicle is your protection. And, and when we got out to fix the flat, uh, you are very concerned with what's going on around you. And I remember the guy who was driving the truck, who was supposed to keep us safe, he didn't know how to change a flat. So my friend and I started to work on changing this flat and we were having a really hard time. And there were, his wife was in a vehicle and another lady. And all I could think of while we were trying to figure this out is if something comes, we're going to have to run for our lives. And you're not running faster than an animal. But then it boils down to somebody's going to get caught and it's not going to be me. <laughs> I think the time I was the most afraid is when I was on safari with my wife and two sons, and I knew there's no leaving them, and if something were to happen, I have to die for them. That's, that's a whole nother situation. But just so we understand, when we're talking about running, and we're talking about running this Christian race, it's not a, a passive running. It, it, it is not, uh, I'm just going to get here and whatever amount it takes and whatever effort I feel like putting in at this time, that's what I'm going to give. It's so much more than that. So just keep that thought in your mind as we read through the scripture for this morning. Again, we're in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start reading from verse 12. I'll be reading out of the CSB this morning, and I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. 
It reads this way. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have obtained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Lord, we thank you for this promise. We also thank you for the goal you set before us, Father, because we know it is empowered by your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would so place in our heart today to run this race with everything that we have in us. We present ourselves to you, and we thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in our lives and for our daily bread this morning, believing that your word would not return to you void, but will accomplish what you send it to do. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. In the Bible, there's many pictures that describe the Christian life. It shows us all of these word pictures. Sometimes it says uh, the Christian life is we're a branch and, and Jesus is the vine. We're a soldier. We're a student. We're a bride, a farmer, a boxer. Here is speaking about a runner. And one of the things about running in some kind of competition, it is not, is not only just running the best you can that day. So those situations I laid out was a situation that you may be put in and you're going to run as fast as you can, but you may not have never have ever worked out. But, but in, the, in these competitions, the person would work out. They would prepare themselves for what 
they're about to encounter in this race against others. And it says here that not that I have already reached the goal. We all have goals in our lives. We hear about goals, hashtag relationship goals, and we have short-term and medium and, and long-term goals. We have unspoken goals, and, and Paul is speaking about this goal that he has for his life. He says, not only have, have I already, have, not that I have already reached the goal or have already been perfect, but I make every effort. That, that he is making every effort uh, to take hold because he had been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul here is making a sober assessment about himself. I, I have not yet obtained this goal that I'm seeking after. Sometimes we believe that we are more spiritually mature than we actually are. And that's a dangerous thing. Here, Paul, who is probably one of the greatest Christians of all times, is saying, in this season of my life, with this was close to the end of his life, I still haven't obtained this goal, but I keep pressing on for it. When we have a false sense of where we are spiritually is very dangerous. Matter of fact, there's those that believe that they are saved, and when they come before Jesus Christ, he's going to say, I never knew you. We have to know where we are and take a right assessment of ourselves. The worst type of driver is the one that thinks they have more skill than they actually have. They become a danger to themselves, and they're a danger to others. And in the same way, if a person believes that they are spiritually mature, not only do they do harm to themselves, but they have the potential to do, the, do harm to the body and to other people. So here, Paul is saying about himself, which we would all be able to say, hey, I have not arrived. I, I'm still in this process. Remember, Paul, in this very same epistle, had stated his credentials before, who he was, the family he was born into, that he was circumcised on the eighth day, um, that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, that uh, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, about the law, he called himself blameless. And now he was in a place where he recognized, I still have not obtained what my goal is, the thing that I am after. He was actually deceived as a Pharisee. Often the closer we get to God, the more we recognize 
it is your grace and mercy, God. I have not arrived, and there's still more work to be put in. What, what brought this change about in Paul's life? What happened that he came to the place to recognize, whoa, I'm still a long way off. That, that change came about when he met the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. See, see Paul thought, you know, he was all of that uh, when he was looking horizontally. When, when he looked at other people, that's what he was comparing himself to. And, and we often find ourselves in that position. But that's not the standard. The standard is perfection. The standard is, is God. So Paul has this new assessment of himself. But not only does he have a new assessment of himself, he has new goals. Everything for Paul had changed. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and now he was a slave to Christ. Before he was a persecutor of the church, and now he's a missionary for the church. Paul wasn't looking for God. Paul was going about his business to do what Paul thought he should be doing. And God reached him on that Damascus road. Christ went after him, and, and, he, and he took him to court, knocked him off his high horse and said to him, what are you doing? Paul thought he was on a mission for God, and when Jesus said, what are you doing? Paul said, who are you, Lord? Imagine that, him thinking he was in right standing, but when he hears the voice of God, he can't even recognize it. Who are you? Christ called him to give a, an account for his actions, and he turned him around, and he started to pursue the exact opposite thing that he was going after. And in that same way, God is still working on each and every one of us because it wasn't only once Paul was turned around and started doing what God called him to do, but all of these years later, Paul has still come to a place where he's like, you still got to work on me, God. We all find ourselves in that position. I don't care where you are in life. I just had an experience recently that taught me a very big lesson. I was at my house doing some work, and all of a sudden I start hearing these thumps up against my house. And I look up on the hill and I live on a dead end, pretty secluded. These kids are hurling rocks 
at my house and hitting my house. And um, I yelled up there, you kids better get away from my house. I'm going to tell your parents. And I started making it through the woods, and, and they ran off, and I couldn't catch them. But something told me they're coming back. This is, you know, there's stages of you're getting old. Like, the, the first stage is, like, I like sitting in the rocking chair of, of my porch. The, the, the next stage is, you know, I, I, I got to take a nap and look forward to it. Now I'm at the stage where I'm that old guy yelling at kids from my yard, I'm going to get you. I, I count time as extremely important. Like, I map out everything, how long I'm going to sleep, how long I'm going to take to do this and to do that. I was consumed with these kids are coming back. So I, um, I kept, every time I went past this one window where I could see where they're coming from, I'm spending five, ten minutes like a stakeout, like I'm going to get these kids. So my wife is like, well, like, what are you going to do when they come back? I said, I'm going to sneak up on them, and I'm going to grab them, and I'm going to bring them to their parents. And she said, Pastor, I said, they're throwing rocks hitting my house. Sure enough, they came back. And this the same day. And this time I took off and I started running through the woods to catch them. They're 10, 12 years old. They dusted me. They're, they're running off. So I'm like, I'm gonna, every time they come, I'm going to get closer to where their parents are because I'm, I'm going to take care of this. So I come around this turn in between these two houses, which is through the woods in a development, not even at my house, and there's a guy working outside. He says... Hey, how you doing? And I said, these kids just ran by here. Do you know who they are? He's like, what's the matter? I said, they're throwing rocks at my house. He said, where do you live? So I showed him because it's kind of through the woods. And uh, he said, um, their, their mother's going to kill them. I, I, I'll tell their mother. So in one sense, I was like, is he really going to do it? I really, really want these kids. And then I went in the house and I took a nap. And, and the doorbell rings. And you know, I have one of those things where you can see who's at the door on your phone. And I look and it's these kids. So before they could leave, I'd like hurry up and get downstairs and I open the door. And they have letters in their hand. Could you show a picture of these letters that they have in their hand? So... So the one on the left is from the girl. The one on the right is from her brother with fire on the rock while he's throwing it at my house. So the one letter said, dear sir, because I told the guy 
Once I calmed down that I was a pastor, so he must have said it to the mother. Dear sir, I'm sorry for throwing rocks at your house. I know it was wrong, and me and my brother were bored. I'm so sorry. Have a blessed day. And then she said this, I just remembered God is always watching. God always loves you. When she said God is always watching, I did not take that as watching her. I took it as, what were you going to do to this 10 and 12 year? God's always watching you. And then it says, and God always loves you. We have not yet arrived. When I think about what we even read in this chapter about what Christ went through, without saying a word, all that Paul went through for the church, and I am planning and staking out what I'm going to do to this probably 10-year-old girl and 12-year-old boy. They came back last week. They knocked on the door, and they said, Pastor Reggie, now they called me Pastor Reggie because I had given my business card. Can we play on your trampoline and on your swing set? And I'm like, sure. I preached a message some time ago how, how many parables we have in our own lives and how God's always speaking to us. So when I think about Paul saying this, I recognize I still got a long way to go. The text says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. In other texts it says, and straining forward. Paul here is saying, I don't do two things. I don't do three things. The one thing that I do. This consumes Paul's whole life. Paul here is speaking about pressing on, that he is making a full effort. In the same way that he made a full effort in persecuting the church, now he's making a full effort and running after the things of God. I don't know when you were in the midst of your sin, if you remember the degree and what you would do and sacrifice to accomplish whatever that thing was that you felt satisfied you. But you put in a full effort. Whatever that thing that you were a slave to was, you went all out to get it. I had an addiction problem at one time. I remember that no matter what, I was going to be satisfied. 
Do, do you put that same effort in your Christian walk? Or is it just casual? This is a run for your life. And, and we never get to a place where it's like, I'm good. Like, I felt very justified in snatching these little kids up and bringing them to their parents. And my wife's like, that is not a good idea, Pastor. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? So it, it even, it's the attitudes and it's the thought and it was the stakeout that I was on. <laughs> it's just no good. Like, it, it should have been like, I was the youth pastor here. It, it, it should have been, hey, come, come down here, guys. I want to I talk to you. That's, that's, not, that's not where it was. So Paul is making this full effort. The, the Christian life is not passive. There are no spectators. There's just runners. It, it often seems that people want to be Monday morning quarterbacks. If you don't know what a Monday morning quarterback is, is after things happen in a game, it's the person that's analyzing on the sideline what went well and what didn't and what they would have done. But they're not in the stadium. They're not part of the team. They're watching the game with their arms folded and their feet crossed. There's none of that in the church. You know, people with face paint on and complaining about the last play. They didn't do a push-up the first. Holding on to a bag of popcorn and drinking a beer. This is talking about running with full effort. Not jogging, not sitting, not skipping, but running all out. An athlete disciplines his or her body. They, they have their body submit to them. They watch what they eat. They watch what they drink. They watch what time they go to bed. They work out. They do everything to strive for that goal. Matter of fact, the Greek word here is agonize, to, to, to put all effort into something. This is not passive, but active. What do you say for yourself when you think about, am I disciplining myself that way? Am I desiring to know God? Am I running full throttle? the way I used to run when I was back in the world? Or if I'm just coasting and, and got a lot to say about everything else that's going on around me, not even being a participant? Or are you studying the Bible? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you in fellowship? How is God using you to serve the kingdom? Are you witnessing to people? 
one of the things that I can tell you is you can't move forward if you're looking in your rearview mirror. You, you can't uh, move forward if you're looking at your past failures, your past sin, or even your past success. He's using here a metaphor of a foot race. The Christian life is a continual forgetting what's behind you and a relentless centering his energies and interests on the course that is ahead. And forgetting does not mean erasing your memories of the past, but it's a conscious refusal to let them absorb your attention and impede your progress. We can allow our past to halt our present and our future. Memory is good. Memory is actually a precious gift that we have. Without it, it is actually impossible for progress. But we can't allow memories and the negative to stop us from doing the things that God has called us to do. The text says that he pursues as my goal the prize promise by God, heavenly's call in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the prize. And one of the things that we have to have is we have to have a dissatisfaction with your present condition. Like if you're comfortable and feel, I'm good, there's no problem, then what motivates you to strive for anything or to move forward? It's not to say that we aren't to be content with God's providence and where we are in life in one sense. What I'm speaking about is a dissatisfaction of how far we are from obtaining the goal. And for the believer, the goal must be, I want to be more like Christ. Paul was not satisfied with where he was in terms of looking like Christ. He thought to himself, I don't look enough like him. So not only was he dissatisfied, but he concentrated his efforts for the future. He pressed forward for the prize. You know, one of the things that we have to do in that is it has to be focused. It has to be concentration. It has to be, this is what I'm doing. It has to be a level of single-mindedness. The text goes on to say, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you don't think this way, if you think differently about anything, God will reveal it to you also. Maturity is a certain level of spiritual growth and stability in your life in contrast to being an infant or a babe in Christ. Short-sighted people never have the future in mind. Short-sightedness is extremely dangerous. I'm living for today. 
That is immaturity. They don't plan for tomorrow. They don't think about the work that they're going to put in today has a result in your tomorrows. He says here, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth that we have obtained, right? We're all somewhere on this road that we're supposed to be moving in the same direction. We're not in the same place. So that's fine. But are you reaching, straining, desiring to be more and more like Christ? What are your goals? Well, he started with this, this is what I do. This one thing, this is my goal. We, we have all kind of goals for all kind of things. But he said, for me, it's this one thing. And, and then he says, to, to join in imitating him and others, to pay careful attention to those around you that are walking this life out. Not in perfection. But what you'll notice with certain people, that, that they are single-mindedness. Their focus is on the things of Christ. And for each one of us, that looks different. But you can tell when someone is genuine, when they're walking out what God has called them to do. Where are you in that process is the question. Is that even a goal of yours? Do you even consider what Christ has done? Remember, Paul said, I, I press on to apprehend these things because Christ apprehended me. Because he turned my life around, everything has changed. Then he says, for I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross. And, and, and that looks a bunch of different ways. Either you are for God or you are against them. There's no neutral ground. It's either you're on the team, you're in the race, you're part of the, or you're not. Sometimes those things or overt, and sometimes it's, it's covert. Sometimes it's just, hey, this is not what I'm about. But all of that is the way of the world, and it's demonically charged. You need to, you need to know that. And then there are some that are just overtly on the side of the enemy. Wolves in sheep's clothing. You, you have to beware, you have to know that they're there, and you have to know your words so you're able to identify them. Don't have a casualness about that kind of thing, because if a wolf has sheep's clothing on, the wolf is looking to get close to the sheep and then take off that sheep's clothing to devour you. It's not a game. It's not a joke. So sometimes people believe as Christians, well, you know, hey, just love everybody and, and they'll come around. No, there are some that are out to get you. And, and you need to know that. While you're pressing on, while you're running this race for your life. It says their end is destruction, their, 
God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Heathenism, the aim of life, for the most part, is gratifying the flesh. The appetite is master. That's where we were at one time. Whatever our appetites were, we were a slave to that. The mind and the heart are simply slaves to the appetite. It says the, their glory is their shame. That, that is to say that instead of being ashamed of lustful course, they actually glory in them. They, they parade their denigration. We see that every day. They are earthly-minded. All they care about is the things that are here. And some of you sitting in church this day may be in that very place where your life is consumed with your appetites. And your appetite and hunger is not for the things of God. And you may come here every week. Each one of us, just like Paul, has to make a proper assessment. What is my goal? What is my life about? What is going on on the inside? I don't care what it looks like on the outside. What's going on in here? Well, the believer, it says that our citizenship is in heaven and we wait eagerly for our Savior. If, if you're not eagerly waiting for the Savior to come, if, if Jesus showed up right now and you go into a mad panic, you got a problem. If, if, if it's not, I've been waiting, Lord, something's wrong. Our hope should be centered in the heavenly city. You can come up, worship team. It says, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Jesus is going to transform our bodies and our mind. Consider the source of that. Consider the ransom that Jesus paid with his blood for the believer. Consider that as citizens, we are called to obey the laws of that kingdom and to have our interests in the kingdom of Christ. And consider the privilege, the protection that we have, the guidance that we have, the comfort that we have because we are citizens. Just think about these 
vile bodies that we possess, how they're breaking down. There was a time I would have caught them little boogers. Long past that time. But forget that part. What about our, our minds that often stray? What about our appetites that are there and are there to destroy us and are in their right place? Just think about the substance of what we're made of. We're made from the dust. Imagine the disease and the infirmities and the darkness of our souls. And all of that, God is going to give us a new body. These lowly bodies are going to be replaced with a glorious one. It's necessary. We're going to be in a different place. We need a fitting body for that place. Flesh and blood can't be in the presence of God. It's so amazing that we cannot even imagine the nature or the extent of that new body. And it's going to be conformed to the body like Christ's glorious body. Wow. We're going to um, take communion as we wait for our suitable bodies. Jesus said to do this often, remembering me, remembering what I've done, we're going to ask the leaders to come up to serve the communion and the ushers to bring the communion forward. Who's communion for? It's for the believer. It's for the one who has trusted in Christ. Even if you're a child and your understanding is not quite there yet, you should refrain. If you're a believer and you're struggling, speak to God and take communion. But if you have not already identified with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we ask you to wait. Maybe by the end of this service, you will be in the position to say, I am part of the family of God, and now I have a right to partake in this meal because of the precious blood of Jesus that has covered my sins. Let's spend a moment or two in reflection about what it is to be at the Lord's table, and I'll come back up and we'll take communion together. Amen.